0: Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kynos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tabor.
1: And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, you know what is in this year and for the past probably five years?
0: I bet you're going to tell me.
1: Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. They're we're pretty We are trendy. living in the golden age of conspiracy theories, and it—I it, feel like conspiracy theories have always been a part of American culture and life. Uh, but until recently, they kind of existed on the fringes, and they didn't really have much of a broader effect on culture. Like I remember when conspiracy theories were just kind of like this fun, wacky thing that, like, your weird cousin who doesn't wear deodorant would talk about whenever you were at, you know, family gatherings, like. Uh, some of the famous conspiracy theories in American culture are that the, the, the moon landing in 1969 was staged. Did you ever have anybody in your life who believed in that conspiracy theory?
0: Not in my life, but I mean, I had heard that was a belief, but people also believe the Earth's flat, so.
1: Yeah, that's a more recent one. Yeah, um, that's,
0: that's come back.
1: Another one is JFK's assassination that it was planned by the CIA. That's a big one. Um, there's one, this one it was, you know, More harmful, but that the 9 11 terrorist attacks wasn't, you know, they were an inside job.
0: I had watched a whole documentary on that.
1: It's crazy. There's like JFK documentaries too.
0: Yeah. The 9 11 one is is something I was like, oh, I didn't even think about this. Have they been lying to me? I didn't buy it. They almost got you. Yeah. But I was really, like, (laughs) I was really captivated by this documentary of how they played it out to be this inside job and, you know, but now that's, you know, very popular within a lot of other areas of society in terms of healthcare. like it's all inside, you know, all of the people in charge, all the people in leadership are actually actively working against us and not for us.
1: Yeah. So like with like the moon landing one, like that's a conspiracy theory that, you know, in a lot of regards is somewhat innocuous, um, you know, it has a not, uh, inconsiderable sized following, um. But it never really reached a point where it actually like affected society in mm-hmm. any kind of a way.
0: In its operating forms. Yeah, that's fair.
1: Yeah, but in the last few years, conspiracy theories have really changed and become mainstream in a lot of ways. Um, and a lot of Christians have become involved in these kinds of communities surrounding these theories. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today and specifically with regard to QAnon. Uh, but we'll dive into that in just a minute. So when it comes to conspiracy theories, they've always been around. There's always been that that weird family member or that weird classmate who was like, you know, the government's not telling you the truth, man. But it never really had an effect on, you know, broader culture or society. That really began to change about seven or eight years ago. By like 2016, 2017, when smartphones and social media like really bloomed into what they are today, like really for the first time, online conspiracy theories like that used to exist on the fringes became truly mainstream and really at the center of kind of a constellation of conspiracy theories that have been uh you know brewing in the last number of years is this community or this movement called QAnon. and QAnon it began online in online forums uh, called 4chan and 8chan i've never been on these forums i think 4chan is gone now And 8chan is different. According to the Netflix
0: documentary that I had watched on this, that is accurate. Okay.
1: (laughs) And by the way, like these are not great places to be on the internet when they existed.
0: I didn't even know these were places to be on the internet until I watched that documentary. What's a good thing? You're like,
1: wow, I'm glad these things are gone.
0: Yeah. I had heard of QAnon, but I didn't know where it lived or where these thoughts lived i had just assumed it was twitter and your normal social media platforms but that is not no it was it some, was some darker corners yeah, of exactly the
1: internet and uh q began on 4chan and then moved to 8chan and it was this anonymous uh, blogger i guess is that what you is that what you call them forum user uh, uh yeah, probably called a user q and he began posting these prophetic kind of, like, posts about the highest levels of American government being involved in an underground satanic human trafficking ring. And this Q character claimed to be a high-ranking government official with, like, the inside scoop. So, scoop. So, like, the, the Q stands for, like, Q-level clearance, which is, like, you know, you have access to, like, the, the nuclear... Uh, weapons and their designs and how much of them we have and all those kinds of things. And as crazy as this sounds, this random person on the internet claiming that they have Q levels, you know, clearance and that they have all these, you know, scary insights on what's going on in the highest levels of government. It really picked up a lot of steam and began to expand out into the broader culture as people, you know, started giving an exposure on YouTube and on Twitter and other places, Reddit. Um, it, it really became this broader cultural movement and in the midst of that, Christians have been swept up in it, a lot of them, in this QAnon movement. And really, it has reached this cultural inflection point that some experts are now referring to it as a cult of sorts, or certainly that it has a cult like aspect uh, to it. And obviously, there's like some shades to this. Like, some Christians are like right at the epicenter of like this being like a new religion for them. Uh, but then there are others who are like, you know, normal people who are otherwise reasonable people, reasonable Christians. Um, but because of the uh, just broadness of the reach of QAnon, uh, very reasonable people have begun to, you know, casually hold very unreasonable beliefs about the American government and, you know, just these various things. And so I wanted to talk about that today. I want to talk about QAnon, a bit of its history, and why so many Christians seem to have really been caught up in this whole like movement of a thing. So I figured we'd start with the history of QAnon, which is kind of crazy that it. the history of QAnon actually kind of begins before Q as a poster. And the, it, it started with this, this online conspiracy theory that's uh, come to be known as Pizzagate. And I remember when, like, this whole, like, Pizzagate thing. I remember, I remember seeing it, like, brewing on social media as it was, it was, was happening. Yeah, I honestly, I'm like, people ser- aren't serious about this. Right. Like, this is just, like, one giant meme or inside joke uh-huh. or whatever. Uh, but people were genuinely serious. And so if we want to understand the roots of QAnon, it really starts before Q, uh, his first, they called them Q Drops. Um with the, this Pizzagate thing, which is unrelated but somewhat interconnected to the whole QAnon thing. And this, this theory arose in 2016, and it centered on then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and her campaign chair, uh, John Podesta. And at the time, uh, there were some private email communications. I can't remember quite all the details, but I think some private emails had been leaked to the press, and some online actors had begun, quote-unquote, discovering encoded messages in these emails about human trafficking and this child sex ring that was, you know, allegedly being operated at Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C. And in the theory, like, children were being held captive in the basement of this pizza place, um, which, as it turns out, the building that this pizza place was in didn't even have a basement, but that, you know, these people really weren't concerned about the details of the facts. But this theory, it, it, it gained, like widespread popularity to the point where like, even if you're just casually scrolling scroll, you know scrolling through social media you were aware of it um, and there was obviously no evidence to back any of this but a lot of people apparently genuinely believed it and the people who owned this pizzeria they ended up like receiving like threats of violence and death threats the owner and the manager of this pizzeria and there was this one person who believed in this theory like so thoroughly that you know Hillary Clinton and this cabal of uh, you know, democratic leaders were operating this child sex trafficking ring in this pizza place. He believed it so thoroughly that he decided that he was going to come and he was going to free these, you know, supposedly imprisoned children. And he showed up to the pizzeria with an AR 15 and he shot into the pizzeria three times. Now, thankfully he just like hit a wall and a, and a table or whatever. Uh, and so nobody was injured or killed. And the, assi- the assailant was, you know, arrested and detained um, But it was really like this moment where you could see that these online conspiracy theories were, were starting to have real world implications.
0: Well, yeah. And I think of it on such a personal level for this pizzeria and the owners and the family members. And they're just innocently going about trying to have a business. In just trying to sell pizza. pizza. Yeah. And this whole theory has been revolved around their location, and I'm sure they had absolutely no idea why it was their location that was chosen. I mean,
1: because I, I think Hillary maybe, Clinton like ate there once with John I was Podesta. gonna say yeah. maybe
0: there was like a one time, you know, a famous politician was eating there, but maybe it was Hillary Clinton specifically. But I would imagine you would just want to like close your business down after something like this. Like, do you keep trying to go on, or you continue to deal with like this whole army of? online people that are attacking your business and very physically showing up and trying to shoot your business like that's crazy
1: yeah so this conspiracy theory it didn't involve q but a lot of the themes and beliefs that were a part of this they end up becoming uh themes of uh the the kind of q movement and so um after the 2016 election that the, the this Pizzagate thing happened in 2016 in the midst of the election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And obviously, Trump won. Uh, but about a year after that, um, when Trump had been in office a little bit less than a year in 2017, Q made his first post on 4chan. And in these posts, which again, he calls them Q drops, or they come to be known as q drops he theorized that you know that hillary clinton clinton would soon be arrested and this was certainly like in line with like donald trump's like campaign rhetoric of like drain the swamp lock her up you know there's all these people they're so corrupt believe me and so um this whole kind of Q thing, it came alongside that and said, oh, these people, yeah, they're corrupt, but they aren't just like government cronies. They're like actual like Satan worshipers and they're drinking the blood of children and there's a sex trafficking ring. And obviously there's no um, evidence for this, but um, Q, he began to kind of spin this yarn of how there was this underground ring of, you know, the political elite, elites, particularly in the Democratic Party. And um. In the midst of that, Trump was kind of seen as this outsider who was going to come in and be the hero and he was going to expose this and he was going to bring all these people down. And then for his part, you know, Trump kind of like dog whistled to it because one thing about Trump is that he kind of loves to be the hero and it doesn't really matter who is seeing him as the hero. And so he kind of was like, you know, he didn't really like lean into this, but he didn't certainly say like that's ridiculous, that's not true. He kind of like mirrored a lot of the same language. And so it was kind of this ebb and flow of, uh, this rhetoric about corruption in the swamp and all that. And so the QAnon people really started to genuine be- genuinely believe that Trump uh, you know, could confirm all of these details of this sex trafficking ring and the Satanism that was going on. And as 2020 drew near, Trump you know, really began to hint that if he didn't win his reelection bid, then it would have been because the election was rigged. And that was that was something, you know, in the 2020 campaign, he start he was really priming the pump for that. And then QAnon came alongside that, too. And it's like, yeah, of course, they would uh, rig the election against Donald Trump because he's the one that's going to bring down this whole secret cabal of Satanists and sex traffickers that is a part of the Democratic leadership. And so it was like really just this confluence of, you know, Trump, I don't think having a full understanding of, you know all the implications of what he was doing. He just wanted to, whether it was save face or get reelected or whatever it might have been to maintain his presidential prestige, there was these groups online that were being radicalized, many of them evangelical Christians, because by and large, Trump, most of his support came from white evangelicals. So there's this overlap of people who were, you know, on the right wing, who are also uh, white evangelicals who are hearing all the rhetoric that Trump is talking about, then seeing all these QAnon posts about this, you know, not, not only are the Democrats like wrong in their vision for how they want America to be run, but they're these evil, wicked people who are doing these, you know, you know, truly like horrific things. It, it all kind of got mashed in together. And then comes 2020 and the election, and Trump doesn't win the 2020 election. But then he immediately launches into this disinformation campaign about, you know, this allegedly fraudulent uh, result of the election, and he he really started to use this language of like fighting. You got to fight for your country. You got to save your country. This is war and all that kind of stuff, and um and so the the camp that he was in, which was. Uh, you know, his supporters, again, many of whom were white evangelicals, were, were starting to get primed for, you know, this is an existential threat if Trump isn't put into the White House. And so by any means necessary, that needs to happen. And as we all know, this all kind of came to a head and culminated on January 6, 2021, when uh, Trump played a role in inciting a, a riot against uh the Capitol building as Congress was meeting on Capitol Hill to certify the results of the 2020 election. And, um, there are people that died that day. It was, you know, we all watched it unfold on, you know, CNN and, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the new live news that we were watching, um, that all these people were storming the Capitol and breaking into the Capitol building and really trying to threaten the lives of, um, the people in Congress who are going to certify the results. And they were, you know, they they fashioned a, a gallows for um, Vice President Mike Pence. A lot of them were uh, listening to worship songs on their stereos as they were going. They had Christian flags. They had, you know, some of them, you know, had Christian flag in one hand and a QAnon flag in the other hand. And so all this really, like, got all meshed together and kind of created this horrible scene um, that we saw on January six, two thousand twenty one. Now, since that time, uh, you know Biden has been inaugurated, and a lot of this has kind of slowed down. Like Q hasn't really posted it anymore. There was like an eighteen month period where he didn't post at all. Um, but at that point, kind of the 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 cultural cat was out of the bag, and um, this kind of overall ethos of QAnon has kind of endured and it's kind of taken on a different form um but you know a lot of it has um surrounded uh you know this election denial and uh, continued election denial like in uh, 2022 the midterm elections more than half of the gop midterm candidates still maintain that the 2020 election uh, was stolen so like that's still an enduring belief even though you know all the evidence is to the contrary and uh in the case of the pandemic you know, it's kind of moved from like, oh, just the democratic elite, to like the world elites, uh, this secret cabal of Satanists and sex traffickers, they engineered this virus so that they could, you know, um, control society, that they could install authoritarian dictatorships and all these kinds of things, uh, that the pandemic was a plannedemic or a or is, you know, those are the phrases that have emerged. And um, a lot of this has overlapped with, you know, anti-Semitic rhetoric, uh, Christian nationalist rhetoric, and a, a lot of it, it has been nodded to uh, by a lot of Republican elected officials and candidates. And because of that, there's actually been a, a quite a bit of an exodus from the Republican Party of people who are saying, like, I'm actually a conservative. I'm not a Christian nationalist. I'm not a QAnon person. And so there's actually been this great divide within the right half of America and really the right half of uh, of the church, the conservative half of the church, where there's this more uh, QAnon, right wing, alt right, Christian nationalist kind of, you know, amalgamation. And then there's kind of those who are, are still kind of like the, the George Bush, Ronald Reagan, you know, conservative Republicans that have departed from the Republican party.
0: Which I would think those that follow the sort of conspiracy theory and QAnon and all of this other stuff that's really just been meshed together would say they probably started as that conservative that you remember in the era of George Bush and Ronald Reagan. They probably lived there for a very long time and then it was just this subtle chipping away at that and subtle it, um, inclusion of all this other information that it began to be just slightly believable enough that we could step into that. And I think a lot about what happened with Pizzagate and QAnon. And of course, why would we not be the people who stand up against sex trafficking and Satan worship? Like the evangelical Christians are the ones who are supposed to stand up against that. Right.
1: I mean, that's a slam dunk. If if it's true, if it's true. Yeah,
0: absolutely. We are going to be like all in when it comes to that fight. But the, issue with that is a lot of the credibility behind these things um i was even really surprised that some of the other kind of conspiracy theories i think it was was it wayfair or ikea
1: it was wayfair wayfair yeah
0: um and i i had people i know and knew that were posting about The hidden messages inside of Wayfair products that were actually uh, selling children and not just selling furniture, right? Based on the way its name was. And so I was really surprised that didn't take off in the same way Pizzagate did. But certainly, if you have these theories and you have these assumptions that all of these people are well aware of what's happening to these poor innocent children and people are being trafficked and no one's caring about it. Like that is a problem that we need to be addressing. So in theory, I understand why people wanted to get behind it, but there is also that aspect of (laughs) what is true and what are the sources? Are they credible? That's giving us this kind of information instead of just running with any wild idea that we're hearing. Um, obviously, as soon as I heard about Wayfair, I was like that, how is that even possible? How is that even happening? Even to the point where they had to stop selling certain products because social media just took off with that particular cabinet. That everyone was saying this cabinet means you're buying this type of a kid and they had they could no longer sell that piece of furniture because of how out of control this conspiracy theory got.
1: Yeah. So I want to take a little time and talk about like so you're saying like oh if these things are credible then of course like Christians would stand against them. But the fact of the matter matters like they're not credible according to you. Okay, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> but I want to dive in a little bit to like how is it that otherwise reasonable people, our neighbors and aunts and uncles and parents and siblings, who are you know kind, reasonable people, have fallen to such unreasonable beliefs, and so I want to talk about that a little bit. But we'll dive into that in just a moment. Yeah. So we want to talk about like how is it that Christians of all people who are like the truth people have been so easily wrapped up in things that are, you know, so verifiably false. Like I forget who the quote comes from, but it says uh, that uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And in all of these conspiracy theories, whether it be, you know, pizza gate, there's children being locked up in the basement of this pizzeria. The pizzeria didn't even have a basement. Um, the election was fraudulent. We, you know, this is the probably the most accurate read on an election we've had because there's been so much scrutiny of it uh, that there are these, you know, a secret cabal of Democrats drinking the blood of children and things like that. That like, there's not a shred of physical evidence on these things. Like, how is it that Christians in, in the world of QAnon? have become so not only enamored with these ideas, but have like swallowed them as truth. Like, like the lie has been repeated so many times that it has become truth to them. And I think the answer to that is not simple. But I think like it is there is some kind of explanation for it. And I think part of it has been politics. So like QAnon and related conspiracy theories have like thrived in these kind of alt right spaces and right wing spaces and really uh focusing on a lot of people like Hillary Clinton. And so there are a lot of people who don't believe in QAnon or any of these conspiracy theories who for a lot of reasons don't like the Clintons. They don't like Hillary Clinton and there's, you know, probably a lot of, you know, good reasons for that I think, you know. By and large, on the left and the right, not a lot of people like Hillary Clinton or the Clintons generally.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to say those reasons are not just outlandish and outrageous. Like you can't just say be those who follow um, who, those who dislike Hillary Clinton are automatically like on people. But there is that very deep connection. But the common denominator is the dislike of Hillary Clinton and the Clintons in general, and many of the reasons are very valid reasons.
1: Right. Whether it's policy issues, it's conduct issues, things mm-hmm. that she did as a secretary right. of state. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can criticize uh, about her, her time in public life. Um, but, you know, a lot of the most intense scrutiny has come from, you know, the right side of the aisle. And a lot of people on the right side of the aisle have been evangelical Christians. And because a lot of, American evangelicals were already in those spaces that, you know, a dislike or, you know, frankly, even like a hatred of Hillary Clinton, like as a person um, has thrived. They were kind of close enough to the situation that they could be radicalized online. And it's kind of like I feel like it's this slow process of like, you know, Hillary Clinton, you know, she she did these things as part of a function of her public office. You know, what does that say about her character? And then you go down the line and with these rumors and innuendo, and then before you know it, like she's a lizard person who is drinking the blood of babies, and it's like this breadcrumb thing that like leads people to get like this crazy place. Um, and I think part of it is because like the the intermingling uh, of these these QAnon conspiracies was also like intermingled with like rhetoric from like Christian nationalism, and we did a whole episode on Christian nationalism. Uh, it, which often kind of disguises itself as like simple patriotism like we say like oh Christian nationalism is just like it means that I'm a Christian and I love my country um, but but that's not really what Christian nationalism is. It's that you know contra the Constitution, contra the the uh, the values among you know Protestants for you know centuries of religious liberty um, it's this idea that, America ought to be a Christian nation because it was founded as a Christian nation, which is, you know, a complicated thing to say because it was, it was founded, uh, with the principle that an official religion would never be established, but it was also founded by, you know, by and large white Christians who, you know, evangelicals, you know, see their lineage going back to them, you know, theologically and, you know, generationally. um, but the idea of the Christian nationalism isn't just that there are certain virtues like liberty and freedom of speech and freedom of religion and um, just value of human life, like all of these great American values, um, that, that that those aren't the things that should necessarily define the country. But it has to have a distinctly Christian look to it, um, not necessarily in its theology, but in the general culture of white evangelicalism. Like what do white evangelicals kind of like and What do they look like and what do they do and how do they dress and what are the cultural symbols that they have that by force we have to make America that. And so there's like this um, kind of like muddying of like Christian patriotism with Christian nationalism that we have to make this a Christian nation by force. At the same time, there's this thing brewing online that says, and the people that don't want that to happen—the Hillary Clintons of the world and these you know, "quote unquote" global elites—they are not only uh, keeping us from, you know, this positive vision for America, you know, "quote unquote" positive vision of America that we have, but they're also these evil people. And so, um, I think a, a a lot of the reason why. Um, so many white evangelicals have fallen into QAnon isn't so much that, like, they've really thought about it. It's that you've, it's like they've kind of led with your feelings. Well, I mean, like, it would be convenient if these things were true. It w- <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, right? That it would be convenient for my cause if Hillary Clinton was a lizard person. Because then, like, there's no, there's no argument against her. So, you know, is it true? Is it not true? Who can really know? But if it is true, then we got to take her down, right?
0: Yeah, and it's easy to get swept away with the bits of information that, well, that kind of sounds like it's possible and not outside of the realm of things. And before you know it, you're now agreeing with things that are seem very, very impossible and very, very unlikely but you've just slowly stepped into those waters one step at a time. And then you just don't realize how deep in you are. And for a lot of people, I think there is some sense of uh, just humanity has uh, a stubbornness and an arrogance about them. That's like, well, this is, I've already come this far. So now I really need to sink my heels in because then what does that make me if I back out? Right. Right. I I think there is that very practical side of things. And I have talked to people that you you kind of go into this conversation and you can see that they're losing ground and and then they just start hurling like these wild things at you and you realize, well, there's no conversation anymore. Now you're just trying to hold your ground as best you can. And we're not really having a conversation. Uh, We're just trying to make sure that you're saving face in, in your views and your ideologies. Which it it leaves me often questioning where are we as a nation and where are we as a society in our forms of critical thinking? Like they kind not of not not in a great place, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, they kinda of seem like they're gone. And as much as we want to just defend our side we will give way to whatever that looks like even though maybe in our like the depths of our heart we know this is crazy what? but it might also feel like it's harmless
1: and i think that's how it starts out cuz like you know if you get a group of you know you say a small group of white evangelical christians they're you know they're in their small group and they are all republicans and you know they have similar views in that regard and they're kind of like oh did you hear that crazy theory about the democrats being lizard people who drink the blood of children like that's so crazy right but like it makes sense that they would because they're terrible people right haha just kidding haha but then like that continues on until like you just like like it just kind of snowballs into like it's kind of like when you start enjoying something ironically Mm-hmm. like say like there's like a tv show like this tv show is dumb and then you like watch like three episodes and you're like yeah this is dumb i just watch it to make fun of it you know it's kind of funny like eh. but like the longer like you stick around with it you just come to like embrace it like unironically and like you know like oh now this is my favorite show um it makes it's me like think that of, but like with yeah. just like horrible conspiracy it makes me
0: think of that cat shirt you have what's the cat
1: Oh, yeah, I have this, this shirt Look that is him. so it's so ugly that it's <laughs> fun.
0: It's not fun. It's just ugly. But what is the cat? It was like a a popular cat. Like a oh, grumpy it was cat, like the grumpy cat. yeah, The yeah. grumpy cat. And it's just this shirt with five pictures of this grumpy cat and a moon. And I'm like, why are you wearing this? You're like, it's it's so ugly. It's funny. I was like, no, but it's not. And you like this shirt, but I can't understand why. It's kind of like that.
1: It's kind of like that, but just a lot more dangerous.
0: Yeah, it's dangerous, and it's not just a t-shirt; it's actually affecting society in our world. It's I kind, absolutely. It's kind couldn't. of
1: like, oh, what if we all did, you know, uh, cocaine? Wouldn't that be funny? It's just kind of, kind of kind of a funny thing. Like we would never do it, but it yeah. luck, but, we, but what if we did? And yeah. then like it just kind of snowballs to where like now you like the, you're this crazy, you know, addict that's and doing crazy stuff.
0: And there's power in numbers just there's power in multiple people accepting an idea versus you being that one crazy person that is thinking the most outlandish things when you have a group of you and more of you and it grows and grows it be it starts to turn itself into its own reality
1: right and I think, um, I think also, too, it's important to note that, like, when it comes to, like, these crazy QAnon conspiracy theories that are, you know, verifiably false, it, and, you know, a lot of it starts out as, like, joking and funny and haha, and then before we know it, we're believing it unironically, I don't think that would happen with something, like, on such a mass scale and with such seriousness um, unless there was also, like, a root underneath it that is, like, drawing you in that direction, like this uh kind of root of you know fear or anxiety like this like this whole thing be- was emotional before it was ideological
0: certainly we didn't end up talking about Hillary Clinton being a lizard person and just because we think lizards are funny right like there was something else some core truth some core value that people were holding to that made sense and was um important and was truth, but it it evolved into something else. I think that is important. And oftentimes what you see is people who are believing these kind of conspiracy theories is they're only viewing it through the lens of that that speck of truth. And they hold tightly so much to that small piece that it doesn't matter that the rest of it doesn't really make sense because they're fighting for the goodness of that piece of truth.
1: Right. And so like it started with like, um, say like a a genuine concern about the more progressive wings of our, you know, political uh, groupings, um, which, you know, turned to a hatred, which then turns to these conspiracies. But I think beneath the hatred was an even like more deeply seated like fear. And I think a lot of the fear is from just the fact that like America is is changing that for many white Christians in America, like they have been the, the super majority of America since America started. Um, but they're increasingly seeing themselves moving from being the super majority to, you know, just the majority now to probably soon, not even the majority anymore uh, because America is getting more diverse, it, you know, with, um, you know, immigration, with, you know, uh, people of of different backgrounds that are, you know, have been here multi-generationally and are, are building large families that, you know, America is getting more religiously diverse, is getting more culturally diverse, is getting more linguistically diverse, is getting more ethnically diverse. And so in a lot of ways, this has resulted in a fear response among many uh, white evangelicals who, you know, this used to be, you know, quote unquote, you know, our our country our turf our land um but they are are fearing that they're quote unquote losing their country or losing their culture you know the culture of what they grew up with you know in a white suburban neighborhood of you know yesteryear that the america that they knew um they don't care if it was the best america or not it was it was their america and their america is 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 doesn't exist anymore
0: well and i think it's important i mean you you we frame it often in this like uh, white people are afraid because they're no longer the majority. But if you really talk to, to people, they're just afraid because the world is changing. And the water they were swimming in definitely could be analyzed and viewed as, yes, they're, by the sake of sheer numbers, white people were a majority and their influence and their power and they were in places of leadership and all of that's changing. But I, I do truly believe that you have some white people that they're not so much afraid of the fact that others with different skin colors, different backgrounds, different uh, cultures are coming into power. But the the fear is that their world is just changing and that's scary. Yeah. They wouldn't necessarily say, well, it's because so-and-so is in power now and I want a white person. It's just, it looks different now and that's just a very scary thing. And so to pin it all on, white people are upset that white people are no longer running the world. I think it, it's it's an overgeneralization and it wouldn't actually resonate with the heart of many people, they would agree. I am afraid that things are changing around me. And then obviously stepping on the outside, looking in, you can say, well, this is how it's changing. It looks less white and that's why you're afraid. But any kind of change in any way, especially on a massive scale is is scary. And it doesn't look like what you knew when you grew up and it doesn't. Um, It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. The words we're using are different. The conversations we're having are different. And humanity, by and large, just doesn't like change and we don't welcome change. And America is changing. That is just the reality of it. Are there some aspects of our country that I think are changing in ways that we should be concerned about? Yes. Are there ways that our country is changing in ways that we should be excited about, that we should be um, kind of championing those changes? Absolutely. But it's hard for people to process all of that in like a single conversation. And honestly, even in like process that within their lifetime, because they're holding on to whatever picture uh, the good life looked like without embracing the goodness that's coming ahead
1: yeah I mean I will say though I think a, a, a lot of the you're right a lot of people who especially who are kind of on the fringe of the QAnon movement wouldn't even consider themselves a part of it but kind of are sympathetic to a lot of the beliefs of it they're, they're not like these forward-facing white supremacists they're not like saying like you know white is right and, dah, 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 and yeah, all this and kind I think of it's stuff
0: unfair to paint that because of course we have those we do have those extremes they exist absolutely um but to then say like that's the categorization of everyone is unfair it's it's more nuanced than that it's not that it's not that simple
1: right but I would say that race does play a factor in that not insofar as there is this forward-facing hatred of um, non-white cultures or non-white peoples um, but it, it's this fear of um, loss of significance Like as a, as a people, like a lot of people who are kind of, you know, in, in this view of QAnon, they would say like, uh, I hear a lot of things like, you know, white people are the most persecuted people in America right now. Um, which, you know, if you look statistically is not, you know, true. Um, but it's, it's, it's a feeling, it's a fear that that's the case. And you even see like, you know, diversification in Hollywood, where like when The Little Mermaid was, you know, they did a remake of that and they cast a, a black actress in the role of Ariel. Like, the, like a lot of people, uh, you know, you know, white evangelicals, like were, were really upset by that because they felt like this character that was special to them was somehow being taken from them in, in a lot of ways. And so it's not necessarily like I, uh, I, a, a, i'm having a forward-facing hatred of other peoples it's just the fear of um of losing my own culture i guess is what it is but it's still I, kind of a racially motivated thing
0: yeah i don't know i think there's more layers to it because i wonder if so let's take the little mermaid example if little mermaid the original disney little mermaid um let's say that she was originally african-american and then we All these years later, we tried to change her. Would there still be people that are like, wait, no, I I held to the memories of that original. I held to the and I understand that world just doesn't exist because that isn't the way that it was. Like all characters were casted as white and like that's just the way that it was. But I'm just wondering, is it people that are holding on to the nostalgia of what was and if it were different, would they still be feeling the same way? I don't um, know. Maybe we just can't know.
1: Well, I don't know because the 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 framework, the, the context in which we're speaking is living in a nation that for most of its history has been predominantly white dominated. Right. No, and and in many ways by design. And now that that design is being dismantled. Which is a good thing. Yes. That there's um that there's a loss of significance that uh, a number of you know a lot of white people feel uh, that feels like persecution to them. Where we're, where we're trying to even the scales, it, a lot of white people feel like something's being taken away from them, and it's a fear response that turns to a hate response that yeah. is not rooted necessarily in kind of like a coherent mm-hmm. uh, adherence to white supremacy, but it does end up with a similar result in um, opposing you know diversity Mm -hmm. because it means i'm giving something up yeah and so because of that fear a lot of this you know is it's directed towards say the left side of the spectrum politically because these are typically the people who are Advancing progressive ideas like diversity inclusion representation all these kinds of things and so then that's where the whole like lizard people thing comes to kind of scapegoat that side of things when really at the heart of it is a fear that turns to a hatred and so I think you know that's something that we have to reckon with that you know we have to dismantle the, the poor uh, presuppositions that are leading us to that to the fear response that's leading to a hate response. That's then leading to kind of wild accusations that have no basis in fact.
0: Yeah, but that also requires a lot of self-reflection too. And I just don't know if we are in a place to be able to self-reflect in um, a mature kind of a way without just playing the blame game of like, well, no, you're doing this bad thing. So, of course, I'm mad at you, but trying to actually internally reflect on where is that coming from, from me? Like, why is the thing that you're saying, um, igniting such a, and either a fear response or a hate response or an anger response within me. And I don't think we're doing a lot of self-reflecting. We're just doing a lot of uh, blaming of other people.
1: Right. I mean, and I think we do need to reckon with the fact that, you know, we should care about these things for, I mean, for one reason, This radicalization of conspiracy theories has led to, you know, real world violence and and, and destabilization of civic structures, whether it's Pizzagate, whether it was all the anti Asian hatred that came in the midst Mm. of the pandemic. Yeah,
0: absolutely. uh, And
1: an uptick of, you know, hate crimes of, you know, little old ladies and little old men walking home from the grocery store getting assaulted, uh, whether it was January 6th, whether it was, you know, this now widespread cynicism in government elections where, Every election cycle now. We saw it with Cary Lake in Arizona, just, you know, in that gubernatorial race there, um, that, that, that this, these there's corrosive effects that are that are taking place. Um, and also, like, just promoting these conspiracy theories is, like, incredibly damaging to our cr- Christian witness. Like, you know, I believe the Christian faith is defensible, even though there's some extraordinary claims. Like, we worship a dude who claims to have raised from the dead. And I think that's perfectly defensible, but, you know, it it, it takes a lot to get someone to believe that. I think we undercut ourselves uh, with our extraordinary claims that do have extraordinary evidence when we also buttress them with extraordinary claims that have absolutely no evidence. And so I think that there's a lot of hurt that we do to our credibility and there's a lot of damage we do to other people through violence and harm by kind of letting these things stand. And so I think that's why we should care about them. But then the question becomes like, say, like there's a lot of people in our pews and unfortunately across the nation, some of them in our pulpits that are, you know, at the very least casually connected to this. What do you think are some ways that we can kind of rise to that and respond to that or be helpful and constructive? you mean other
0: than just avoid it? <laughs> yeah. Um. I think naturally it just becomes very uncomfortable because oftentimes if you are engaging in a conversation with someone who uh, is pretty deep into these conspiracy theories, they're also pretty fiery about it. And sometimes you engage in these conversations and you realize, wow, we're just talking in circles and in circles. And I'm not convincing you of anything. You're sure you're surely not convincing me of anything. And now, for the sake of this one-on-one relationship, um, there might be a wedge drawn that wasn't there before because we decided to engage in this conversation. So I have really been pushing myself to not just avoid, avoid, avoid at all costs, but to, to try and go into these conversations, not trying to prove I'm right, because that's exactly what the other person is trying to do and I'm just as much at fault at not creating a conversation as that other person. And so what does it actually look like to hear someone and to maybe even begin to uncover what's underneath that? Like what is it about our society that they're afraid of? Because I think right or left, liberal or conservative, Republican, Democrat, a lot of us oftentimes are operating out of fear and so because we're operating out of fear we're not having rational conversations we're not really even having conversations and so I think the way that you step into that is to try and remember that whoever we're talking to is human and they are created in the image of God just the same way you are and so You shouldn't walk in with the sense of arrogance and self-righteousness that I'm right. I'm the only one who's actually looking at this from a clear lens. I'm the only one who's actually seeing this from any rational, critical thinking part of my brain. And you're not like you're just crazy. That's harmful to the conversation as well. And so I think giving grace and giving love and trying to figure out what is it that I can relate to this person on when it comes to this conversation and the reality is for many Christians one of our like relatable points should be that we want people to come to faith in Jesus Christ and we want that light of Christ to be shown and is there a fear that that's not happening and is there a fear that um that's kind of being taken away for whatever it did look like at one point in time. And so how do we engage in that part of the conversation? Because I don't think trying to convince somebody pizza gate wasn't real. I don't think you're going to get anywhere. I think you need to start somewhere else that is uh, more of a common ground and actually matters in, in the sake of that relationship that you're living in. And maybe we can all kind of begin to operate out of that point of grace with one another.
1: Yeah. And I think so, so, grace and love and patience i think also curiosity um kind of a a an intentional curiosity of like well what why do you believe that or like what do you how did you come to that conclusion or and kind of opening the conversation in that way of like a lot of times you can you can inch somebody in a different direction just by like letting them lay everything out on the table and and like gently questioning this and that and the other and then you know it's obviously not going to be a one conversation thing but I think um, if we're curious enough to kind of hang in there, and you know, and a lot of people would not want us to be curious enough to like f- ask follow up questions. Like yeah. We should, like you know, kind of come in and punch them in the face because these ideas are so harm- harmful. I understand the ideas are so harm- harmful, but th- the way to talk somebody out of it isn't to talk at them, is to talk with them, and that kind of starts with curiosity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's that aspect and i think you labeling it as curiosity is exactly what i was trying to say is like what is underneath that what is what has led them to believe that and a lot of the times you can actually relate to what's underneath that you just arrived somewhere different right uh and that is part of treating other people like they're human treating other people like they matter and what is important to them matters And you do that by leaning into uh, being curious about someone, being curious about what's important to them or, or what are their fears. And that's when I think you begin to actually have conversation and you do less arguing and debating and you do more like people relating.